Welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, July 21st. I'm Hannah Floor with the KFSK News Department. The Petersburg Borough Assembly is moving forward on a solid waste contract that is 34% more expensive than its current one. However, it's unlikely that borough customers will see increased bills this year. The borough's current contract expires at the end of August. At the borough assembly meeting on Monday, Public Works Director Chris Cotta recommended a new two-year contract with Republic Services, their current contractor, with an option to renew for a third year. Cotta says the bid is more expensive than the current contract, but still cheaper than other options. We talked to two other regional haulers um, and were able to get one other quote. That other quote was higher than the one we got from the public. So at least we know, okay, we took a competitive look at this. And for now, for today, this is the best deal we could get. Bacata says that extra income from the borough's sanitation department will likely offset the more expensive contract. The sanitation fund is self-supporting, which means that it basically functions as a business. No tax dollars go into it. Instead, fees at the Baylor are used to offset costs elsewhere. This year, the Baylor has been extremely busy. Cotta says that the sanitation department has made quite a bit more in Baylor fees than expected due to lots of construction waste. However, Cotta isn't sure whether the extra revenue is a trend or a fluke. At this point, you know, I feel like it's probably just a really big year and that we can't really count on you know, those kinds of volumes in the future, although my staff are telling me that our volumes are up again, you know, this season. He says that the increased costs would likely need to be addressed in next year's borough budget with the possibility of a rate increase. Republic Services currently provides the containers that are used to ship the baled waste, but once the new contract ends in two or three years, they will require customers to provide their own shipping containers. That will add both cost and the logistics of operation and maintenance. Kata is planning to use the next two years of the contract to explore options. He says Public Works is always looking for ways to reduce prices and mitigate the effects of inflation. You know, we've got some time to work on the problem. Two years isn't a lot of time. In the world of garbage, that's really, you know, a short period of time. But we should be able to flesh out some of these problems during that time period and come up with solutions. Kata has talked with the Petersburg Indian Association about expanding their existing composting program and is also looking into reopening the city landfill for construction debris. He says that he is also exploring options with the Southeast Alaska Solid Waste Authority for regional solutions, including alternative waste disposal. Assembly members voted unanimously to adopt the contract in its first reading. It will need two more readings before it is adopted. A group of kayakers stopped off in Petersburg this week on their 1,200-mile expedition through the Inside Passage. The eight-man group includes six British military veterans. They have suffered gunshot wounds, two double amputations, paralysis, and PTSD from war zones including Iraq and Afghanistan. Theo Jones is the team's project manager. He's a civilian but has been inspired by the veterans on the team. They are trying to shout from the rooftops that um, you don't have to be defined uh, by disability. If they can influence 
the wounded veteran community prove what is possible. And there are definitely people out there who are going to listen, 100%. They're raising money for the The Not Forgotten, a UK charity which supports veterans with disabilities. More than $170,000 has been donated so far. They originally planned to kayak the Amazon River in 2020, but then came the pandemic. After three postponements, the expedition was changed to the Inside Passage. Jones says taking on the treacherous waters of southeast Alaska came with a unique set of challenges. The environment, you've got tide and weather, wildlife, eating outside of camp, things like that. Um, the psychology, because the endurance of this is so long, the physical, these boats weigh so much. It takes six of us to lift the two-man boats. The team aims to travel 15 nautical miles per day, and unless they stop in towns like Petersburg and Ketchikan, they just search for a spot onshore to pitch their tents. They're not too concerned about bears or wolves, though. They're much more afraid of the massive amounts of rain that batter the Tongass every summer. If the weather is going to be damp, uh, we don't say the R word um, as a team because it will provoke it. Um, it will come then and we don't want that because if it does get that wet, life is miserable. The tent is saturated, it gets underneath it, it just goes everywhere um, and it doesn't dry out. You know at the end of that day, after 20 miles or whatever it is, you know you're going to get into a wet sleeping bag and life is very, very hard. Joan says that they haven't had much R word so far, but after 58 days of paddling, they were ready to sleep with a roof over their heads in Petersburg. They spent the weekend at the volunteer fire department, fully equipped with a kitchen, bathroom, and most importantly, a shower. The team even made it downtown for some Petersburg hospitality, cheeseburgers, beers, and fries. Incredibly warm, incredibly helpful. It's places like Petersburg and Ketchikan that make this whole thing so possible, or so much easier, and it makes it possible. Um, definitely be out here again. Really lovely people, lovely place. The team won't be able to finish their journey together because the start of the expedition was delayed in leaving Washington State. So it's just Jones and two others who will continue paddling north for the next 24 days to reach their final destination in Skagway. Dozens of friends and family gathered on Wednesday night at the shore of Mendenhall Lake in Juneau to hold a candlelight vigil for Paul Jose Rodriguez Jr. Rodriguez drowned last week when his kayak capsized on the lake. Yvonne Crumry was at the vigil and has this story. The ceremony is quiet, with the rushing water of Nugget Falls in the background. The candles in the hands of the adults and children gathered grow brighter as the day begins to darken around 10 p.m. Michelle Tagabon leads the ceremony. The search for Paul is a continuing effort, and we are sensitive to the knowing that he is here. The search for Rodriguez's remains is ongoing. Dan Ewing is a pastor at Cavalry Fellowship Church in Juneau. He's known Rodriguez for 17 years. He leads those gathered in a prayer. God, there's so many here tonight that are frustrated and confused that are heartbroken, that their worlds have been blown up and torn apart. He says Rodriguez is loved by all he met. Probably the most loyal um, person I've ever met. I mean, honestly, like, if you need something, he's there. Adventurous, up for anything. Just a fun guy. Rodriguez was known in the community for his photography. He used his drone to take striking photos and videos of Juno's landscapes, including many of the Mendenhall Glacier. He leaves behind a 20-year-old son, Jaden. 
loved uh, loved people, loved life, loved loved God, loved Jaden, and Jaden was his life. So. Rodriguez was last seen more than a week ago. On Tuesday, he posted on Facebook that he was kayaking to the glacier. His kayak was found capsized Tuesday night, according to state troopers, but he wasn't reported missing until Sunday. Video evidence recovered from a GoPro belonging to Rodriguez confirms that he drowned after his kayak capsized. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Crumry. Kodiak police have named Clint Moody as a suspect in the fatal hit-and-run collision during the tsunami evacuation last weekend. The crash killed a pedestrian, 45-year-old Kodiak resident Vanessa Amox. Friends on Facebook also know her as Vanessa Malutin McCormick. Moody's white, flatbed-style truck had damage consistent with debris collected from the crime scene, according to a press release from the Kodiak Police Department. Police say witnesses also described a similar vehicle leaving the area after hearing the collision. Moody told officers he was driving to the Kodiak High School parking lot, which is the evacuation site for Kodiak residents during emergencies. He said he did not realize he hit someone, and police say he has cooperated with the investigation so far. Kodiak police have not yet filed charges and are in contact with the attorney district attorney about how to proceed. Alaska's predator control programs did not work, according to, a re- to research by two retired state fish and game biologists and a University of Alaska Fairbanks professor. Retired fish and game biologist Sterling Miller is the study's lead author and worked at the Alaska Division of Wildlife Conservation for two decades. I think the uh, Fish and Game Department and the Division of Wildlife Conservation has not done adequate analysis and in some cases has even misled the Alaska public about whether or not these programs are accomplishing their objectives. The study, published in the scientific journal Diversity and presented at the International Mammalogical Congress in Anchorage on Thursday, found no increase in moose harvest in the years following predator control in south-central Alaska's Game Management Unit 13. The acting director of the Division of Wildlife Conservation, Ryan Scott, says the division respectfully disagrees. You know, predator control and intensive management is initiated when prey populations are down and we have confidence that predators are limiting the ability for the herds to increase. Scott says it's probably true, though, that there's a lack of information about how long after predator control work they would expect higher moose numbers. But I don't think we can put a number on it, right? I mean, it it can cycle, correct? I mean, even if we're talking about Unit 13, uh, we've seen numbers go up and down. So actually pinning a time period on it, I think, is, is irresponsible. Miller, the predator control study co-author, says in some cases it's other factors, like the availability of food, that are limiting moose numbers. He says controlled burns to reset habitat to the benefit of moose are more important, more difficult and expensive, and that predator control is simply an easier option. A giant potato has been traveling around the country for 11 years and is coming to Alaska for the first time this weekend, heading to Skagway. The outsized tater may be a promotional scheme by the Idaho Potato Commission, but as Alain de Premenil reports, Skagway is embracing the weirdness and rolling out the red carpet. There is a classic Idaho postcard 
locals know that there's a postcard that has um, it's a tractor trailer. Sue Kennedy has spent her career with the Idaho Potato Commission's marketing department. And on the back is a giant potato, and it's all made up. And it's like they grow them big in Idaho. In 2012, for its 75th anniversary, the Idaho Potato Commission decided to bring the postcard to life. The group built a fiberglass potato the size of a humpback whale, loaded it on a bright red semi-truck, and sent it on a year-long tour to promote the local crop. And people loved it. It was only supposed to be on the road for one year. So now um, we're 11 years, and um, we've been to every city so many times. So we thought, let's go someplace new. That place is Skagway. They should be here, hopefully, barring no more trouble with the truck. (laughs) They'll be here on Friday. Jamie Bricker is the tourism director in Skagway. She says when the Idaho Potato Commission called her earlier this year to inquire about visiting, she saw an opportunity to add color and weirdness to a local yearly event. We are doing a parade through town, and then the potato truck will go out to Deadman Stage for Skagway Arts Council's Blues, Brews, and Barbecues. The music festival has taken on a spud theme. Local bands are getting a makeover. The Matator Jam Dahlia Band will be making a showing, and Dictator and the Tots will be there. The mayor is expected to read a proclamation at the next borough assembly meeting, declaring July 22, 2023, as Idaho Potato Day in Skagway. Two locals with Idaho roots will be crowned queen and king of potatoes for the day, and local restaurants will serve a variety of potato dishes. Under the whimsical outreach, Idaho potatoes are big business. Kennedy says about 13 billion pounds of the vegetable are grown every year in the state. That is one of every three potatoes grown in the U.S. Kennedy says another giant potato was built before. Oh, have you heard about the Potato Hotel? Because we had another version of this, but it just couldn't travel anymore because it was made of steel and some concrete. So now we planted it in Idaho, and it's an Airbnb. Kennedy says her potato travels about 25,000 miles a year. When asked how much the operation costs, she says she cannot disclose the numbers, but her answer opens a small window into the world of traveling food effigies. But I'll tell you what, our budget is um, small potatoes compared to some of the other traveling mobiles that are out there. Like the Oscar Mayer Reader Mobile, I think they've been up to Alaska. And, oh, the Planet Peanut Mobile, the Peanutters. Um, yeah, I think our they've got a they've got bigger budgets. Kennedy says the giant potato will travel to Hawaii soon. For KHNS, I'm Alan DePremonil. For KFSK News, I'm Hannah Floor.